My name is Humble Gray, and I am a Mississippi farmer. Went to the post office one Friday morning a few weeks ago. A post office, mind you, that's right inside Clemmer's Value Food Store. Isn't that convenient? Yes, sir, that's Slate, Mississippi. Small in size, but large in services and amenities. Anyway, I'm there to pick up that seed catalog I'd ordered. Nursery and orchard. Not that I'm planning an orchard, but call it a farmer's flight of fancy. Thank the Almighty for its brown paper wrapper, lest word get out that Brother Gray has a frivolous side. So I'm picking it up, and Naomi Sue, age 18, whom I have known since infancy, is manning the postal kiosk. And I noted that this youngster crowned all of her days, with the exception of bald babyhood, with a lovely cascade of auburn hair, was now sporting bright pink locks. Goodness, Naomi Sue, says I in a panic, what sudden malady has befallen you that your lovely brown hair has assumed this vivid chromacity? Why, Farmer Gray, says she, sweet as you please, it's just a dye is all. A hellish backfire of a dye, I asked. No, sir, says the gal, a dye that worked just fine, gave me precisely the color on the box. I nodded in lieu of a quizzical scratch of the head and left with my catalog. So comes the next Friday, the the next Friday, I returned to the post office to collect a 12-piece ratchet set I'd ordered two weeks previously from the Sears. Well, sir, there's Naomi Sue again, and, and this time what was once bright pink atop her head was now electric blue. Naomi Sue, says I, did your previous coloring go awry for... You are now blue as a Japanese automobile. Oh, no, she giggled. I simply changed the color again. Whatever for, asked I. Because it's fun, Farmer Gray, says she. One week I'm pink, one week I'm blue, and next week most likely green. Suits my mood and who I feel myself to be one day to the next. So, says I, one might intuit from your follicular hue your current psychic state. Correct, says she. Well then, Naomi Sue, says I, I apprehend that you are false, for your pigmentation is counterfeit and its means of attainment synthetic. Moreover, I adjudge you to be capricious. For your ersatz coloring is erratic, changing in accordance with an inconsistent nature. In no way, dear Naomi Sue, is this complexion amenable to the aspect of a U.S. postal worker, one marked by steadfastness, consistency, 
and commitment both to job and public bearing. Well, the gal lowered her head, her blue hair falling into her eyes as the scales that blinded Saul on his way to Damascus. Now, child, says I, I speak not from cruelty, but from benevolence, for I know your mamma and daddy to be resolute and enthralled to the gifts that the Lord has visited upon her daughter, lovely auburn hair and all. Abide in their archetype and the love of Jesus, Naomi Sue, and soon there will be no finer postal clerk in all of Mississippi than the one who stands before me now. Well, the gal turned her countenance to me, the hair and the scales falling from her eyes. In their place, tears of contrition. I was lost, Farmer Gray, says she, but now I am found. Thank you for your wise admonition. When next you see me, my hair will be as brown and natural as a chestnut, and my labors as steady as the Almighty's hand when he fashioned the universe. And with a warm and grateful smile, the lass handed over the twelve-piece ratchet set and bid me a good day. A very good day indeed. Today I must assert upon a most remarkable incident, ladies and gentlemen, a most remarkable incident indeed, for a certified letter arrived for yours truly, quite an event in and of itself for a self-effacing old agrarian, but even more arrestive was the address of origin, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. That's right, the fabled domicile of our very own commander-in-chief, Well, simply tearing the missive open with soiled hands wouldn't do to extricate its singular contents. No, sir. This called for the ivory-handled letter opener that's been in the family since paternal granddaddy's day. Why, I even buttoned my collar and donned a red bow tie before running said opener across the top of the envelope. And what said this communique from the very seat of power? Just two words, ladies and gentlemen. Two words, call me. And the clear, bold-handed signature, that of one Mr. Donald J. Trump. That's right, folks, the autograph of the President of the United States of America. Well, I lost no time, I can assure you, placing a call to the enclosed number, though I was forced to redial several times, so greatly did my hands shake with anticipation, For what could he, the finest president since General George Washington, want with lowly Farmer Gray? Had I in some way transgressed, and so gravely that even the most powerful man on earth took note? I could recall no such infringement, legal, civil, or social, for I pride myself on my communal engagements in this, our proud little hamlet, and my province's exemplar of clean living and disciplined habits." Having at last input the correct number, I waited for what I anticipated to be the compulsatory voice of a White House switchboard operator. So, folks, I nearly succumbed to syncope when I heard this through my receiver. Oval Office of the President of the United States, said President speaking. President Trump, I stammered. Yes, came the reply. And to whom do I have the pleasure of speaking? It... 
It's Farmer Gray, says I. You requested I give you a, 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 you know, a jingle. Oh, yes, says Mr. Trump, but you should have reversed the charges. I shudder that you must remunerate for this buzz. Oh, I'd pay twice that to speak with you, Mr. President, three times, ten times, for such is the honor of conversing with a man of your ilk. I'm blushing, says he, but then again, I blush quite often. The media accuses me of having an orange complexion, but the truth is, I'm just very bashful when it comes to praise. That must be very hard for you, says I, considering how much praise you daily receive. Oops, says the president, there goes that blush again. But honestly, Farmer Gray, I don't want to talk about me, for I take no pleasure in that. I want to talk about you. Me, but but Mr. President, stammers I, have I done something to rouse your ire? I heard a chuckle at the other end of the line. You've done nothing, says the commander-in-chief. Nothing, that is, but show the greatest integrity in all facets of your life, the kind of integrity so desperately needed in Washington, now more than ever, in fact, which is why, Farmer Gray, there was a portentous pause, which is why I am nominating you to a seat on the Supreme Court of the United States of America. Well, dear listeners, I was, I needn't tell you, more than surprised. I was rocked, shocked, and gobsmacked. That's what I was. Nominated to the highest court in the land, Supreme Court Justice Gray, an impressive line on the old curriculum vitae, that's for sure. Still, despite the momentous and life-changing aspects of this offer, I was, believe it or not, folks, reluctant to acquiesce. Mr. President, says I, as great an honor as this is, I am loath to abandon my duties at the plow. I long ago made a commitment to the soil, and I cannot default on that. However, Mr. Trump, a master at the art of the deal, said, Oh, Mr. Gray, you can remain on the farm all right. We'll need you in Washington only for deliberation of the most important cases, the little ones, parking tickets and refusal of wedding cakes. You can leave those to the other eight justices. A farmer's time is too valuable for all that nonsense. So I said to him, I said, Mr. President, I will accede to your design. And I did, too, donning my best suit, a three-piece wool blend. Then I swung open the storm cellar doors and hollered down to my beloved Elspeth, informing her that the country needed me, but that presently I'd return. And with that, I climbed into my old pickup and made the long trek to D.C., there to appear before the Senate Judiciary Committee. Of course, having never before traveled to our great capital, I was at a bit of a disadvantage when it came to finding the hearing room, or the building that held the room, or the street that held the building that held the room. In fact, the only thing I knew was that I was in the right city, and even that certainty was below a hundred percent. Excuse me, says I, calling out the driver's side window to a gal in uniform. Could you direct me to a policeman? I'm the police, says she. No, ma'am, says I. I require a police man, not a meter maid. And can you believe she took umbrage? Or so I detected from her high-handed reply of, I am a District of Columbia police woman, a decorated officer, and fully qualified to offer whatever service our department can provide. Oh, says I. Good for you, I suppose. 
but can you tell me where the Senate Judiciary Committee is meeting? You see, it was at that moment her disposition changed, from imperious to excited, for she cut in with, Are you Farmer Gray? Well, sir, I was bumfuzzled that this police officer, 900 miles from home, would know this modest old fellow from small-town Mississippi. But how, says I... Oh, says the police lady, everybody in D.C. knows you're coming in for the judiciary hearing, and noting your Mississippi plates, it just seemed logical. And I was doubly surprised when she said, tell you what, just follow me, and I'll give you an escort to the Dirksen building, wherein your qualification will be fairly adjudged by twelve good people and true. But aren't there twenty-two folks on the committee, asked I? Yes, says she, but ten are Democrats, so, you know. And moments later, her siren sounding and automobiles clearing the way, I'd followed this fine officer to the spot in question. Room 226, says she, and just double park. Ain't nobody given you a ticket today. So it was that morning that I breached the halls of power, past the bronze eagle medallion, and into the wood-paneled hearing room. There I took a seat before a microphone, as if the great walls of this hallowed place would swallow up my unenhanced voice. Nervous I was, but soon put at ease for the chairman, the right honorable Lindsey Graham. He couldn't have been more welcoming, nor could Chuck Grassley, nor John Cornine, and the whole rest of the Republican crew. Make yourself comfortable, says they, and worry not, for based on our faith in the President's judgment, combined with the twinkle in your eye and the wisdom of your aspect, we are more than ready to to refer your nomination to the full Senate for certain confirmation. But the Democrat members, now they were a different story, for I could sense the animosity wafting from them like stink from a wallow. Now, Farmer Gray, says one of these blue state provocateurs, a perpetual critic of Mr. Trump's agenda, Farmer Gray, you have matriculated at no university, let alone attended a school of law, and yet here you sit, requesting that we advance your nomination to the final word in the judicial hierarchy. In what possible way, sir, are you qualified for this responsibility? Well, this seemed a rather invasive query, but not surprising for a man of his ilk and low propensities. So, dear listeners, I gathered my thoughts and crafted a reply. Senator, says I, you are correct that I have attended neither great university nor grand school of law, nor have I experience of the court, either as judge, lawyer, or defendant. But I do, sir, have an education." Oh, smirks the Democrat, and where did you acquire this scholarship? A one-room country schoolhouse? Actually, says I, it is an education gleaned from a lifetime at the plow. A lifetime, Senator, and a fine education it has been, for there is no more erudite abecedary than the earth itself. I have learned over countless seasons the amaranthine truth. As ye sow, so shall ye reap a principle fully accordant with any credible justice system. And though I have availed myself of no legal library, I am intimately acquainted with the greatest law book of all and the Ten Commandments therein. 
for one need look no further than the Chief Justice of the highest court in the universe and his faithful law clerk, Jesus Christ, for the wisdom required to disembroil even the most Gordian dispute. My discourse completed, the Republican senators stood and applauded with unbridled fervor, while the Democrat committee members, true to form, twirled their mustaches, foiled in their attempt to thwart my nomination. For even they recognized that, based on my reasoned commentation, they'd no choice but to accede to the president's sagacity. But, oh, dear listeners, can you guess what happened next? Well, friends... It was then that I awoke, awoke in my very own bed, and realized that the whole episode had been but a dream. I was initially dispirited that it had all been my fancy, and I would not be participating in the great decisions of our era, including the dismantling of intrusive civil rights laws and the reversal of that accursed Roe v. Wade. But then I was heartened to consider that I would not be leaving the plow, even for abbreviated periods, to negotiate the crowded thoroughfares of the District of Columbia. I'll leave those teeming boulevards and brimming concrete walkways to the university boys. And gladly. Yes, sir. Play me out, Zeke. (laughs) 